Open our Bibles to the book of Psalms. We taught the first at one lesson in chapter 2 and 3 in the next lesson. I hope to uh, cover 4 and 5 tonight. And I want us to look at these Psalms and we'll just take them slowly and try to uh, get as much as we can out of each and every uh, word and each and every uh, uh, verse. So if you turn to Psalm 4, we'll begin with verse 1. It says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Asking God to listen to his prayer. We find he says, hear me when I call. Not if I call, not if I pray. A lot of people have should put an if there. Hear me if I call. <laughs> but we need to be calling. Jesus says, when thou prayest. He didn't say if thou prayest. He says, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's the author of our righteousness, the witness of our righteousness. He's the maintenance of our righteousness and the judge of our righteousness. And he's the rewarder of our righteousness. So he says, hear me, O God, when I call, O God of my, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. <clears throat> and he says, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Thou hast enlarged me. And then he seeks for mercy author and promoter of all goodness, God is. And past blessings encourage us to pray again for God's mercy to be extended. In Psalm 81, let me read a, a verse for you. Psalm 81, 89, verse 1, rather. It says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. So we need to sing of the mercies of the Lord. And we need to do it throughout all generations. We need to realize that God's past blessings are an assurance that he will give us future blessings. David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Psalmist David says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. God is our righteousness, isn't he? He's given us righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. He's enlarged us over our enemies. Thou hast enlarged me. Means that he's broken the barrier and set, uh, set us in a large place. That he's given us a, an enlarged place, even over against our enemies. Remember, David had prayed concerning his enemies in chapter 3. And he says, how are they increased that trouble me? And he said that as he fled from Absalom. And uh, the enemies were round about him. And they were... In, Increasing in number, but it doesn't make any difference how many they are in number if God is for us. He says in verse 1, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. David's prayer was that uh, he, he would find mercy at the hand of God. And he says, as you have done, thou hast done something, thou hast, done, thou hast enlarged me. And he says, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And then let's notice in verse 2. It says, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? David instructions here for uh, concerning foolish men. It says, uh, O ye sons of men. He turns to those that are foolish. The nature of foolish men, they ridicule God. He says, you turn my glory into shame. Notice David uh, spoke first to God and then to man. We need to get that in our policy too, don't we? Notice between verses 1 and 2, he had spoken to God in verse 1. Now he's speaking to men in verse 2. 
<clears throat> and we need to realize that God will uh, certainly uh, uphold us when the, the foolish men are round about us. O oh, ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Foolish men ridicule God's man. How long will you love vanity? Foolish men love vanity. For John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's vanity. Jonah, down in the fish's belly, prayed and says, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Then foolish men seek after lying or leasing. Look, it says, and seek after leasing. Selah. What does that mean? It means lying and falsehood. We have foolish men that are, are certainly seeking after lying and falsehood. And then we come to verse 3. This is what foolish men do not realize, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. It says that the foolish do not realize... He tells them in verse 2 what they do, and he says, But no, now listen, you know this, that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. God's man is under divine protection. Psalm 105, verse 15 says, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. So the enemy of God's children better leave them alone. Remember old Saul of Tarsus as he went about persecuting Christians, and he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and... Uh, and uh, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Right? He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus took it as a personal offense against himself. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, God takes care of his own. He protects them. And he certainly takes care of his ministers and his servants. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's Romans 8, verse 31. In Acts chapter 7, let me read a few verses for you. Verse 9 and 10, speaking of uh, Joseph, it says, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Look at that. They sold him into Egypt, into bondage, but it says God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him uh, governor over uh, Egypt and all his house. Look at the three words there. It says he delivered him, he gave him favor, and he made him governor over all uh, of the house of Pharaoh of Egypt. See this? God did. It says God was with him. That's uh, Acts 7, verse uh, 9 and 10. That's two important verses. So we better realize that when we start persecuting uh, Christians or especially talking bad about men that are trying to do God's work, that uh, certainly uh, that's not a very good thing to do because God says that he'll be with them. Isaiah 54 verse 7 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. And it says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Our righteousness is of God, and no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, thou shalt condemn. Pretty good to have God on your side, isn't it? Foolish men need to consider something else. In verse 4, look, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, and be still, Selah. Selah means think about that for a while. 
or it's a pause and rest in music. Some say it's a word to to uh, make the note higher and to lift it up, lift the song up in a higher pitch or higher tone, delirate. And there's a great deal of discussion about the meaning of the word. But anyway, notice what it says, stand in awe and sin not. We need to stand in awe at the greatness of God. Remember when God appeared to Abraham, he says, uh, Abraham, I am the almighty God. He says, walk before me and be thou perfect. We need to stand in awe at the wisdom of God. Romans 16, verse 27 says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. To God only wise. He's great and he has wisdom and he has a holy nature. In Psalm 99, let me read this one for you. Psalm 99 and, uh, I can find it. 99, look at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 9. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. God is a loving God. God is a judging God. And so here we talk about His holiness. And then the grace of God. God is a God of all grace. We sing a song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. We should stand amazed, shouldn't we? And we find something else in this verse. It says, Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Commune with your own heart. Wickedness of their own heart needed to be communed with. Every mouth is stopped by the law of God. Romans 3.19 says, The law is given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And when men are guilty before God, they need to commune with their own heart and find out just where they stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. It says, Prove your own selves. You need to take account of the heart. The Bible says that out of the heart, it says, Keep the heart, thy heart with all diligence. Now listen, for out of it are the issues of life. You see, man acts according to his dictates of his own heart. And if his heart is not right with God, he may act the wrong way, and he usually does. That's why we need the Christian influence, the Holy Spirit. His brother uh, Hawks prayed that the Holy Spirit would guide us and be real in our hearts and lives. And we definitely need that Holy Spirit guidance. And he always, he always guides us according to God's Word. He never guides you contrary to the Word of God. Someone says, well, I'm guided by the Holy Spirit, and they're walking contrary to the Word of God. You say, well, you must be guided by another spirit, because he's in harmony with the Word of God. There's no... Discord. There's no division between the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. There never has been. There never will be. There cannot be because he says the Lord our God is one. He's one in purpose. He's one in power. He's one in motive. He's one in uh, everything. everything. Excuse me. <coughs> and that we are to certainly recognize that we need to check up on the inside, don't we? I want you to notice something else. <clears throat> in verse 5, it says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. The foolish man's only hope is atonement. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. It's through his sacrifice that righteousness comes to us. And put your trust in the Lord. This may symbolize Christ as a sin-atoning sacrifice or lamb in a spiritual manner. The only way that we can have righteousness is through Christ's sacrifice. And in order to receive it, we have to what? Put your trust in the Lord. You have to put your faith in Him, right? If you have 
Christ's righteousness, the only way you can accept it or receive it is through faith. We cannot live on our own righteousness. We have to have his righteousness. Verse 6, notice what it says here. We see again, the foolish men need a good example. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. It's the example for unbelieving, foolish, untrusting men. They say, who can show us any good? Is there any good in your Christian life? Do you have any good there that you can show us? Who can show us? Who will show us any good? And he says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. If we're going to show anyone any good, we must have the light of God's countenance. Jesus said, John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And he says, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And he says, For without me you can do nothing. We uh, need to realize it's only as the Lord uh, that can make us an example. The Lord's the only one that can make us an example to anyone else. We need to realize that without him we can do nothing. This in verse uh, 7. It says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Since joy is greater than a great harvest. It's greater than having uh, corn in the, the barn or wine. That It's greater than all of these. It's greater to have gladness of heart. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and uh, their wine increase. More than a great and bounty supply of corn and wine. The joy of the heart is greater than all of this. The Christian's joy is greater than that of the foolish. It is Ours is a well-founded and it's a lasting joy. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, it's going to shame us someday when we find that we were so sad and so discouraged and so murmured about so many things in life when we could have been just as easily happy about it. We're going to look back and say, well, why was not... You know, there's some of these programs. I saw a program the other night on uh, television that's showing uh, this young lady and she's talking about her mother and she's, she just couldn't be happy. There's no way she could be happy. And uh, she had everything going for her. You know, sometimes you've got everything going for you and you just can't be happy. <clears throat> sometimes we, there's, it's always true that we have trials and we have problems to face. We have situations that are not pleasant. But the Bible teaches us that there's still some good to be found. And I remember what Brother uh, <clears throat> Curtis said when he sang for us the other morning. Remember what said about the brethren when some when you look around you know you, with your problems your trials you have personal ones but when you look around there's always someone that's far worse off than you are and at least it ought to make us realize that that uh, you know life and health and strength and whatever amount of it we have and whatever degree of it we have we ought to be thankful for and be more joyful than we are remember the <clears throat> the 70 came back from uh, their tour that Jesus sent them out and they cast out devils, they healed the sick, they preached the word and they came back and they were marveling. They said, Lord, uh, we, we're just marveling, rejoicing that uh, the demons are subject. And Jesus, Jesus said, rejoice not that the demons are subject unto you or that you can do these miracles. But he says, rather rejoice. Now listen, because your names are written in heaven. A lot of the things we do, we think they're so great, but 
The real great thing is that our names are written in heaven. We're children of God. We belong to the Lord, not only here, but hereafter. The Christian's joy is well-founded and more lasting. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth peace. But he says, He gives a peace that's lasting, doesn't he? Then we find in the eighth verse of this first psalm that we're studying, and uh, fourth psalm, but it's the first one tonight, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. There are three things here, peace and sleep and safety. This was David's good night prayer. You know, sometimes we need to pray at night too, don't we? Pray morning, noon, and night, and that'll come out in the next psalm that we're studying. But let's look at this. This is his good night prayer. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Why could he lay, lay down in peace and sleep? Romans 15, verse 33, it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. God is the God of peace. And if he's our God, he can give us peace, right? In the night. And, and the Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 2, He giveth his beloved sleep. You have sleep because you have peace. You can sleep because your, your conscience is clear. You can sleep because you're right with God. You can sleep in spite of the fear of the enemy uh, uh, round about you. In David's case, the enemies were oftentimes pursuing him. And you know, when you're, when you're asleep, you're vulnerable to the, any onslaught of anyone. But he trusted in God to take care of him, even in his sleep. Safety. Proverbs 21, verse 31 tells us this. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, a lot of people try to get their safety in, in, uh, in uh, arms, or they try to get their safety in, in the bolts on their doors, and safety in the... All. It doesn't mean you shouldn't lock your door. It doesn't mean <clears throat> you shouldn't be prepared to protect yourself means in the midst of all that you do, you better trust God to do the whole thing. You better depend upon Him because, you know, any one that's a professional at it can break all your locks. Anyone that, that is a murderer or a hitman, so to speak, if we were to call them that, they can get to you some way. There's no way you can protect yourself against all the evils of this world. It's only God and His providence and His protective power that will bring safety into your heart and life. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting a little, a little horse. And Mrs. Smith said, "Aren't you glad it wasn't a big horse?" Yeah, a little one's better than a big one, isn't it? Let's look at Psalm five now. Okay, look at the fifth one. What is first? It says. Uh, by the way, sometimes it's good to read the uh, introduction there. It says, "God favoreth." Not the wicked, David professing his faith. It may be a little different in your Bible. Sometimes they put different captions up there. Uh, Prayeth unto God to guide him. And then it says this, and probably this is in your Bible, if what I've read is not. To the chief musician upon Nehaloth, a psalm of David. Nehaloth is a wind instrument. Whereas the one that, if we'd read the caption before in the fourth psalm, Neganoth means stringed instruments. So you have the stringed instruments in verse in, in Psalm 4, and you have the wind instruments, probably the flutes, uh, in, uh, in chapter 5. Now then, <clears throat> we're going to see several things. This is a psalm of David. And in verses one, to, 1 and 2, we find that David expected an answer to his prayer. It says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. 
Consider my meditation, hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. So, if, it, if we could just take uh, God's Word and just look at every word. The Bible says every word of God is pure. The Bible says it's all divinely inspired. If we could just let each word soak into our hearts and digest it, and really assimilate it into our, our being... He says, give ear. That's as much as saying, God, hear me while I pray. And he says, consider my meditation. And he says something about his cry in verse 2. You know, there are three kinds of prayer. My words, my meditation, and my cry. Hear. Give ear to my words. Hear this. Give ear to them. Listen to them. The Bible says that the ears of the Lord are open to the cry of the righteous. He has his ears open. To listen to us. To my words, that's words that are spoken. And then he says, consider my meditation. You know what I'm even thinking. You know what I'm meditating about. Maybe these are not even spoken out. You see, God knows not only what we say and make a sound with and speak out words audibly, but he knows also what we think and what we feel and what we desire. And so Job, uh, I mean, uh, David says, consider my meditation. Consider my meditation. You know what I really want. God can read deeper than just the words we speak. Sometimes we speak words, and much of the time we do, without even thinking of the meaning of them. We get in the habit of speaking. But it would do well if we could just slow down long enough to think about what we're saying. And then ask God to not only uh, hear the words that we pray, but also to consider the feelings that we're trying to express that may not even be in words. If you'll remember when Hannah was praying, she moved her lips only. You know, of course, old Eli, he thought she was drunken. Or she had too much to drink. He said, you've had too much wine. And uh, she says, I'm not, I'm not that way. I've had nothing to drink. But I'm praying out of the bitterness of my heart, of my soul. And then Eli understood, and he says, God grant you your wish, you know, your prayer. When she was praying for Samuel, Samuel means ask of God, A-S-K-E-D, of God. And so she named him Samuel when she received that prayer, that answer to that prayer of that child she prayed for. Okay, <clears throat> so notice this, give ear to my word. Uh, and it says, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. Now, this, then his word was deeper than just uh, words spoken. He was really crying out of his soul. This is supplication. And he says, my king and my God, for unto thee will I pray. He was not praying to someone else. He was not praying to a false deity. He was praying to God. We need to direct our prayers straight to God. Notice. I will direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. I'll look up for the answer. I expect you to answer me. When we direct our prayer straight to God, we expect God to send straight back the answer that we have for that need that we are crying about. I believe David was looking to God in faith, don't you? And he says, uh, my king and my God. Think of these two statements. Look to one that's our ruler. We know that a, a good king has concern for all of his uh, people. He says, God, you have concern about me. You know my needs. By the way, our presidents and our leaders should have concern about the people too. I think they got the message this time. Maybe. There's a question mark up there, isn't it? But we hope that some of them did anyway. 
But then on the other hand, then he says, not only my king, but my God. He's the only one he would worship. He's the only one he would direct his prayer to. And he expected God. And he says, hearken unto the voice of my cry. The voice of my cry. You know, crying has a voice. There's another psalm that says, uh, the voice of my weeping. Weeping has a voice. And crying has a voice. And it's deeper sometimes than just words that we put together. You know, I've prayed a lot that God would teach me how to pray. Have you ever prayed that God would teach you how to pray? Because we need to pray. The Bible says, praying always in the Holy Ghost. We need to let God, uh, God's Holy Spirit direct our prayer and at the same time take the words that we we have to utter in prayer and refine them and make them so meaningful and so so definite and so much with a voice of weeping and the voice of crying and with the voice of meditation and with the voice of words that God will hear all of it. It takes practice to do that and it takes dedication to do that. Sometimes we pray words, we pray prayers, and we're sincere enough about praying them. But uh, there are other times that God just gets deeply a hold of our very spirit and makes us to utter things out of compassion and out of love and out of consideration and that we thoroughly know who we're praying for and what we're praying about and we can feel their need the same as we would feel it if it were our own need. And it's prayer. I try to pray like that. And I seek to do it. I try to do it. And I ask God to help me to do it. And by the way, look at uh, the next verse. It says, uh, uh, My voice... Verse 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. You know, David had time to pray. Brother Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 6, it says, After he knew the writing was signed that they should not pray to any other god save the king. And uh, it says in uh, verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So he was in the habit of it, wasn't he? And he went there and he kneeled and he prayed to God and it says his windows being opened. In other words, he was not going to let some dictation or law keep him from praying to God. He didn't go up there and deliberately say, now you fellas look, uh, I'm going to open my window and do this. It was his habit to do it and he continued to do what he knew he had the right to do consistently. Well, sometimes we like to shove our views on others. David didn't do that. I mean, Daniel didn't do that. He kept on. I've been saying Daniel or David. Anyway, you know which one I meant. <laughs> so Daniel didn't do that. Of course, we're talking about both of them at this time. Daniel didn't do that. He said the windows being opened toward Jerusalem. He went as he had a four time. And he prayed three times a day, evidently morning, noon, and night. Psalm 55, I believe it is, verse 17. Look at it. 55, verse 17. Uh, David says again, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Well, that's a good text, isn't it? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And he says, and he shall hear my voice. He was praying in faith, wasn't he? When he believed that God would hear his voice. We need to realize that we have to, that we need time to pray. And David earnestly expected an answer to his prayer because he says, when I pray, back in our psalm, hold your place where we're studying. 
He says, uh, My voice uh, shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up, because he looked up for the answer. Look at verse 4. It says, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Wicked men he would not listen to. Here's a quote from Spurgeon. Rest assured that Christ will not live in the parlor of our hearts if we entertain the devil in the cellar of our thoughts. Can't pray. In other words, we can't expect Christ to live in our living room if we go out, if we down in the cellar, the devil's living there. Or evil is living there. Because it says, Thou art a, uh, not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. God will not have pleasure in wickedness. So wickedness must be put away from ourselves and from others. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. He's not going to dwell with thee in this condition. Verses 5 and 6 show us four kinds of sinners. Look at verse 5 and 6 together. The foolish shall not stand in, the, in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And that's who God hates. It says, Thou hatest. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Four kinds of sinners. The foolish. They'll not be sustained by the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse 35 says, Shame is the promotion of fools. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. God says he's not going to let them stand. They will not be sustained. Uh, second statement, thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Workers of iniquity shall be hated by the Lord. So it tells us that the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He seeth all our goings, the evil. He beholds the evil and the good. Hires are spoken of, though that speak leasing. Look, thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Liars. Liars shall be destroyed. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, the wicked, the fearful none believing. The abominable tells of the whoremongers and adulterers and all idolaters and liars. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone. Shall be destroyed. And then the bloody and deceitful man. Look, the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Uh, men. Deceitful man, rather. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. So we have four kinds of sinners. The foolish, the workers of iniquity, the liars, the bloody and deceitful men shall be abhorred. Seeing deceitful men dig their own graves, they end up having to pay the price. Psalm 55, we gave you one verse in Psalm 55 a little ago, a while ago in verse 17, but look at verse 23. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. They, they shall not live out half their days. Haven't we seen that true lately? Cut off in, in, because of crime, because of sin, because of um, their terrible actions. Look at this fellow that's killed in the prison. It's rightly so. I'm not going to justify the doing of it, but I am going to say that probably saved the government from doing it. And they should have done it long ago because he had killed seven, what, 17 or 19 young boys and, and cut them up and even cannibalized some of them. I mean, the most horrible crime, and they just Gave him so many life sentences. What was Donner? Is that, was that his name? Donner. And you know, we know that any act of violence is wrong. And we're not to take the law in our own hands. But nevertheless, this man, in a sense, got what was coming to him. The government didn't do. Someone else did. 
what the law enforcement didn't do, someone else did, right? So it tells us that uh, a life for a life, right? He that sheddeth man's blood, by him shall man's blood be shed. And that uh, judgment fell upon him. He didn't live out half his days. Others, you look all around the nation. What does it say about bloody and deceitful men? L- look at that psalm again. Let me read it for you. Psalm 55, verse 23 says, But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. It says, But I will trust in thee. We thank God for every day. We ought to thank God for every day. I thank God for every day, every bit of health that I have, every bit of strength that I have, for food on the table, for shelter over my head. And you know, I don't have to live... High and mighty. I don't have to have everything in the world. I could build on a new bathroom and this and that and the other and make my house better. I could do a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of things people would be pleasant and nice to have. But I've learned to be thankful. Paul says that I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Sometimes we get so discontented we can't be happy with what we have. Sometimes the more I get, the less I want. That's the truth. Because sometimes we just have a a bundlesome amount of stuff we don't know what to do with. Okay? <clears throat> I want you to get down to ver- uh, David's resolution in verses uh, uh, 7 and 8. But as for me, he just told about the wicked men, didn't he? But he says, as for me. When you can make up your mind where you stand, never mind where the other fellow stands, you make up your mind where you stand. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David says here, as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. When he came into the house of God, he wanted God's mercy. David realized that private devotion was not enough. He says, I will come into thy house. As for me, I will come into thy house. He said in another place, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad. A lot of people are mad when you say unto them, let's go into the house of the Lord. He said, I was glad. I've invited people to church and make them plumb mad, haven't you? You could write over their title, I was mad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. But David says, I was glad when they said unto me. Because there's blessings there. He says, I will come into thy house. Uh, in the multitude of thy mercy, he was seeking God's mercies. In Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, I want to read. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he, had requ- uh, and when he required, uh, they set bread before him, and he did eat. In the midst of all of his problems, he sought the house of God and the worship of God. You know, the best thing you can do in time of trouble is go to the house of God. Jesus said in Hebrews 2.12, In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. In the midst of the church. Hebrews 2, verse 12. The manner in which he was to come was feeling of unworthiness. He was coming into the house of God, and he says in the last part of verse 7, And in thy fear, <clears throat> look at it, <clears throat> And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Just that word, toward thy holy temple. And he says, in, my, in thy fear, he came with humility, with a feeling of unworthiness. He came like the publican did. You remember the Pharisee and the publican? The Pharisee came and he says, God, I want you to know I tithe fast twice a week and I tithe of all that I possess. And I'm not as other men are. I'm not like this publican over here. 
I'm not like him. Well, God knew what he was to start with. You don't have to tell God what you are. He knows. The public not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Propitiate for me a sacrifice for my sins. That's what the word mercy means. Find a propitiation, a way that you can accept a sacrifice and accept me in your sight. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not the sinner's prayer that a lot of people think. He was saying, I want you to propitiate for me. Merciful means that. I want you to find a sacrifice where my, by I may be accepted in your sight. And I'm not accepted on my own. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so, uh, David came in the right way. He had a feeling of his own unworthiness. And verse 8, look at this. <clears throat> he says, Lead me, O Lord, <clears throat> in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make uh, thy way straight before my face. Notice he says, Lead me. He di- desired leadership. We need leadership too, do we not? Romans 8, verse 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. He doesn't say, lead me in my righteousness, but lead me in thy righteousness. You see that? And he says, because of mine enemies, make thy way straight before my face. He doesn't say, make my way straight, but thy way straight before mine enemies. Look at verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongues. The enemies of the Lord are further described in these words. There's no faithfulness under their lips. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Romans 3, verse 13 through 14. Their inward thoughts are wicked. Very wickedness. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 6 and verse 5, that God saw man and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Evil thoughts, wicked thoughts. Their throat is like an open tomb. Luke 11, verse 44, uh, Jesus speaks as graves which appear not. They flatter with their tongue. He says a tongue is a little member. It boasteth great things. Flattery will get you nowhere, really, with God. We say in... Humanly speaking, we say flattery will get you everywhere. But with God, it doesn't mean that much. We can tell God how good He is and how, you know, how good we are and all, and just try to put things on the top shelf, so to speak. That doesn't mean anything to God. God knows exactly what we are. I mean, right down to the very core. Our sins, our shortcomings, our hypocrisies, our attempts to try to be uh, better than we are, and He knows that we need His help, His grace, and His love for us to be anything. See, God knows us. He sees us real, for real. And verse 10 shows us the doom of the wicked. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. Now, some people say, well, we're to forgive our enemies. We are, but God is a just judge. And if they've rebelled against God, God is able to bring judgment. They shall bear their own guilt. Every man shall bear his own guilt. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Every man is responsible for himself. You know, a lot of times, mother and daddy, they're responsible. Oh, well, brother and sister, well, the preacher or the church. The church is responsible for a lot of things. To give out the word, to tell you what God's word says. It's to carry out the Great Commission. 
But the decision finally to do right and to accept the Lord or to follow the Lord in baptism, be a member of the church, to be a faithful uh, child of God is up to you. No one can do it for you. It doesn't make any difference. Every man is going to be responsible to God. We shall all give an account of ourselves to God. They shall fall by their own counsel, too. The wicked are in power. And the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 35 and 6, they, they could not be found. They shall be cast out. Matthew 22, verse 13 says, cast out into outer darkness. They are rebels. Luke 19, 14 says, his citizens hated him. For they have rebelled against thee, it says in verse 10. Now I want to close with the last two verses, 11 and 12. And these are the blessings enjoyed by the saints. It tells what the wicked can expect, destruction. By the way, didn't we tell you when he first gave you the first psalm that it was a, the indication of what you'd find and is kind of introductory to all the psalms? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, 